Father God, would you please speak now to us through your word. Take my weak and foolish words, and would you forgive that which is not right in them. But would you please show us the hope and the glory of Jesus. Amen. You should have um, the uh, little sort of notes, and my apologies that some of you will have very odd erratic numbering. I apologize for that. That was uh, a computer glitch, or perhaps I should say a computer operator glitch. <laughs> they just could not imagine it. It was the glory of their nation. It was so strong and solid, and it was beautiful. There was nothing to compare with it. It was the spiritual and political heart of their life, of who they were. It was the fulfillment of the promises of God. It was the tangible evidence that God was with them. And it was the guarantor that they were the special chosen people of God. And yet Jesus speaks that one day, the temple in Jerusalem will be destroyed, stone torn away from stone. I was trying to think of the equivalent for us of what the temple meant to the Jew of the time. Maybe it would be the Kremlin here, or in New York, the Statue of Liberty, or Westminster Abbey and the Houses of Parliament in London, or the Vatican and St. Peter's or the great mosque, Masjid al-Haram, in Mecca. And the destruction of the temple, when Jesus' words were fulfilled in AD 70, must have felt to the Jews a bit like what believers here must have felt when the first Church of Christ the Saviour was blown up in 1931 or even a bit, little bit like what many of us felt when the Twin Towers came down. But I stress the words a little bit, because the temple had an even greater significance for the Jew. So when Jesus says that the temple will be destroyed, the disciples realize it's a pretty seismic event that he is talking about. And that's why their question to him, when will this be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They link together the destruction of the temple and the end of history as we know it. Surely, they think, if the temple is destroyed, it must be only because God himself is coming to reign. But Jesus, if you note, doesn't actually answer their question. It's an impossible question to answer because the destruction of the temple and the coming of the Son of Man did not happen at the same time. The temple was destroyed in AD 70, and we're still waiting for the return of the Son of Man. Rather, Jesus answers a much 
more important question. Not when will the end come. Although interestingly, Jesus does give some hints in Matthew 24 about how they can know when the temple will be destroyed. Um, Look at verse 15 if you have a Bible with you. But rather, how we should live before the end comes. And there are four things that Jesus says. Firstly, don't be alarmed. Secondly, don't be led astray. Thirdly, don't be surprised. And fourthly, don't give up. Don't be alarmed when it gets rough. Don't be alarmed when there are wars and rumors of war, when nation rises against nation and kingdom against kingdom, or when the very ground that you stand on is shaken and then there are earthquakes and eruptions and tsunamis. And don't be surprised when there are disasters or famines. We live in a world that has turned away from God. Nations and peoples live for themselves and not for God. So when what I want clashes with what you want, then I go to war to make sure I get what I want. Yes, of course, we long for a world without war. And we do everything that we can to make that a reality. But wars will only cease when the human heart is changed and transformed. And the Bible teaches that in some mysterious way, human hearts and the heart of creation are tied together. When humanity chose to walk away from God, a deep chasm tore through the heart of the DNA of creation. So there will be natural catastrophes. And Paul talks about how creation itself is groaning for that day when the sons of God will be set free. Don't be alarmed, says Jesus. Wars and earthquakes and famines will happen. But they are not signs that God has forgotten us. They are signs that one day he is coming. Don't be alarmed. Don't be led astray. Verse 4, beware that no one leads you astray. Verse 11, false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Be wise, says Jesus. Don't be led astray by false messiahs and false prophets. There will be people who claim to be the messiah, who claim that if you follow them, if you trust them and do what they say, then you will find what you are looking for. There are the exotic ones, people like Sergei Tarop, known to his followers as Vissarion. And someone here a couple of weeks ago was telling me about another group that she encountered just outside of Moscow. There are the religious leaders who think that they are messiahs. Chaplains and vicars can sometimes get the messianic complex. But there are also business leaders and political leaders who think that they are Messiah. You know if someone thinks they're Messiah when they claim they have special insight, 
They may claim mystical insight, scientific insight, or whatever, and that they can lead us to the promised land, provided that we completely trust them with everything. Our life, our money, our possession, our words, our time, and our thoughts. Don't be led astray, says Jesus. There's only one Messiah. He lived 2,000 years ago. He came from God and he's the Son of God. He invites us to give him our lives, to trust him, to listen to his words, uh, and to do them, to receive him and let him come deep into us. He offers all those who come to him not fortune or success or mild glory here, but peace and fulfillment and an eternal future. He loved us and he died for us. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And then there are the false prophets. And these are harder to identify because they often appear to come in the name of the church. Often false prophets will do what Jesus refused to do. They will claim to be able to tell us when the end will come. By the way, it's a bit of a giveaway. If someone tells you when the end of time will be, you know they're a false prophet. <laughs> but usually it's not so easy to identify false prophets. They often claim to speak in the name of Jesus, but in reality they speak in their own name. And they tell us stuff that comes from their own hearts and their own thoughts. But if what they say draws us away from putting our trust in Jesus or depending on his death on the cross totally for our salvation, or draws us away from listening to what he said, or if what they say means that our love for God and for his people grows colder, then we know they are not speaking his words. I have to say that's one of the reasons why when I speak, I will nearly always, not always, but I will nearly always try to teach what the passage we've read is saying. Someone came up to me a few weeks ago and said, I, I didn't agree with that. I don't think it was saying that. Do you know I love that? I really, really love that. Because it means that you're looking at the word of God and thinking it through for yourselves and asking, what does it say? And maybe, I know we have the, the words of the, the reading here, but I mean, if you have Bibles, bring them along. Or don't be afraid at this point in the service, just at this point, of getting out mobile phones, not going on Yandex, but going to your Bible app uh, and having a look at, at the passage. Um, so that you can follow what is, what is being said. When I was ordained, I was given a pattern and a Bible. The pattern was a symbol for communion. The Bible as a basis for the authority for teaching. And I really hope that when we come to church, we don't come thinking we're going to have to put up with the priest's latest thoughts. <laughs> I really hope that we come expecting to hear what the Word of God says. So don't be led astray. Thirdly, don't be surprised when all nations hate you. You will be hated, he says, by all nations because of my name. Hate is a strong word. 
It's reasonable to understand why people should ridicule us and call us fools. After all, it is pretty bonkers to say that a homeless Jewish rabbi who lived 2,000 years ago and got himself crucified is God's ruler on earth. Ridicule us as fools, but why hate? One of the reasons that the Jews hated Jesus was because he spoke against the temple. He loved the temple. He prayed and taught in the temple. But he also told them, and he told them, and he wept when he said this, that one day the temple, the symbol that they trusted in, that's the key that they trusted in, would be destroyed. In Bury St. Edmunds, I was vicar of one of the largest, and I may be biased, but I would say one of the loveliest parish churches in the country. I loved the building, and we worked hard, really hard, to try to be faithful to the legacy of the past so that it might be enjoyed for the future. That is important. But one day, that building even though it is glorious, will be nothing. It will be dust. And there were people, for people who lived, and they sort of, they put their trust almost in the building and not in the God who gave us the building. And of course, that's not a message that came easy. As Christians, we challenge the idols of this world. The temple, which was far larger and far more beautiful than St. Mary's, was a gift from God. But for some, it had become an idol. People lived for it and not for him. Uh, and people put their trust in the existence of the temple. You saw that in our first reading. Uh, and not in God. And if we're to be faithful to him, we have to recognize that the idols of this world, whether amazing skyscrapers that speak of human wealth and power, or fortresses that speak of power, or stunning church buildings, or financial systems, or political systems, or leaders, or currencies, or works of art, or even the idea of nations, and for that matter, nationalism, and maybe that's something that particularly both the United Kingdom and Russia need to hear at times. They can never be God. And if by the very way we live, we challenge the idols of the nations, then perhaps we can begin to understand why we might be hated by all nations. And finally, fourthly, don't give up. The one who endures to the end will be saved. All this stuff will happen, says Jesus. Wars, famines, false messiahs and prophets, persecution, even hatred from those who once called themselves your Christian brothers and sisters but have now fallen away. Often their hatred, says Jesus, will be the most vitriolic and vicious. Why? Because they have to justify to themselves how right they were not to believe. But I've told you it's going to happen, says Jesus. So don't give up. How should we live before the end comes? Well, keep on going. 
This is a marathon and there are people cheering us on. Today we remember all saints. There are the saints, the heavenly hosts, who we pray together with to our Father and they are cheering and encouraging us on. There are the saints and the martyrs of the past. But there are also people on the sides jeering at us and throwing stuff at us. And some of the other runners seem as if they're trying to trip us up or lead us along the wrong road. And there are times when it just simply kills us. But the runner keeps on going. So keep on believing and trusting. Keep on praying, even if you can only manage to pray the Lord's Prayer, slowly and thoughtfully. Keep on praising and thanking God. Keep on getting to know God's Word. Keep on worshipping and receiving communion. And keep on loving your brothers and sisters, even when you find them very unlovable. It's worth it. Jesus speaks of the stones of the temple being cast down. But in chapter 21, he's already spoken of how he is the stone, rejected by the builders, who's the cornerstone of the new building that God is creating. And it is Jesus crucified and risen, who is our glory. He is the one who is strong and solid and beautiful, in whom we can put our trust. There is nothing and nobody who can compare with him. He is the heart of everything that we are and do. He is the fulfillment of the promises of God, the evidence that God is with us, and the guarantor that we are the sons and daughters of the living God. He and he alone. And one day, when it seems completely hopeless and we're overwhelmed and we've gone beyond what we think is our breaking point, he will return and we will see him.